Chantal. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm awesome. So before we hit record, we were chatting about you giving up coffee for two weeks. I, you know, bow down because I need a few coffees every single solitary day. And so you gave up coffee for two weeks. How, how did that come about and why? Uh, it was sort of a test for myself, one, to see if I could do it. And just looking at how different things that I eat um, or drink affect my body. So I wanted to see like how my body responded to no caffeine and whether that was a good or bad response. So about three days in, it's uh, definitely the hardest day. But after day three, uh, it turns out fine. But as I was telling you, I have a, a nice coffee maker in my house. So I'm uh, drinking coffee again. <laughs> uh, and it's my one little indulgence. <laughs> yeah, your one little, only one? Oh, geez. Okay, yeah. I'm not going to tell you how many indulgence I have, but in a good way. So what was the positive effects it had? Uh, I think I didn't notice too much difference. Like I only drink one coffee a day, so it wasn't like a huge extreme difference. Yes. But, um, you know, oh, just good. Well, yeah, you know, and it's funny because uh, you know that I have four kids and having four very young kids, it was like, you know, come on, we're all going in the minivan. Everybody would fall asleep and I'd go through uh, either Starbucks or Tim's. I mean, at one point, I think I was up to like five to seven coffees a day. And I'm like, you know, I've got the shakes and I'm like, okay, clearly this is not a good thing. So same as what you're saying, I'm down to one, sometimes two cups a day, which so everything in moderation, right? Exactly. Awesome. So we have so many interesting things to chat about and you and I have sort of kept coming back to this, uh, the same sort of thing about the power of storytelling. And, you know, for somebody like yourself and somebody like me that you have to be very sort of um, cautious in what you say, we're all very, uh, you know, kind of brand sensitive, but it's also, it's a vulnerability to be able to tell your stuff and to tell it to people, um, some people that you don't know, and some people obviously that you know and love and respect that maybe don't know uh, what the challenges are that we are facing on a daily basis in our personal life. Um, but I find that businesses these days are really not doing business for the logo that you know you are representing, if you're representing a logo, if you're an entrepreneur, whatever the case may be. I find that they're really trying to connect with people. And so I find that being vulnerable and being able to story share is super helpful. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think both of us uh, work in businesses that are completely based on trust, right? And you need to build that trust with the person on the other end of the phone or sitting across the table in order for them to you know allow you to manage kind of one of the greatest things that uh, they value in their life whether in your case it could be uh, family in my case it could be wealth but also the intricacies of how their family interplays with that mm -hmm. and so trust is the foundation of of the industry and i think um, just like in any relationship you have in your life whether it's your best friend or your family or a colleague um, in order to really trust somebody, you have to know a little bit more about them, uh, what motivates them, what values they have, 
and ensure that that's really aligned for you. So I think stories or vulnerability, although it's not always uh, our first course of action in a business setting, right? We're trained not to show those vulnerabilities in a business setting. It does help bring people's guard down and, and initially um, start to say, you know, okay, you're human just like me. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you touched on a, a, an interesting point I'm going to come back to, but, you know, just for example, the private investigation uh, industry, you know, people basically have to call a perfect stranger, call on the phone and say, let's just talk about infidelity, for example. Uh, and they'll have to call and say, well, you know, my husband or my wife or my partner, um, I believe, is being unfaithful. They basically have to barf out something so incredibly personal to somebody they haven't a clue uh, who it is on the other line. And being a female and the first female in a very male-predominated industry, I feel has served me to build the business I have because as soon as people call, immediately I... I and it's not something that I do as a business strategy. To me, it's something that's very natural. I, you know, I'm a healer. Um, I'm an empath. I love other human beings. And when somebody's suffering, you know, you want to connect with them. Um, my whole thing is to make them not feel like they're alone, but also kind of to say, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, actually got a few t-shirts and hey, you know, it's okay. And that connection comes really quickly when you're able to be vulnerable. So I feel like the power of vulnerability, just like when Brene Brown shares her amazing talks about vulnerability, is so um, connective with other people. And, and it makes, it creates a bond that I think is like no other. So do you feel like as a woman and you being in the position that you are, that's an asset to you? Yeah, I think vulnerability um, has served me well, at least in a business setting. I think uh, sometimes just be able, being able to create that connection with someone and to get to know a person so much deeper uh, than a number on an account statement, right? But really what drove uh, them to build a business the way that they did, how do they want to pass their legacy on to the next generation? And what are all of those uh, facets that you're gonna interact with them along the way? So I always say, you know, I'm there for the highest highs and the lowest lows of my clients' lives and probably similar to you, right? People are calling you either when something really amazing has happened in their life, you know, they're selling their business that they spent their life building, um, or it could be when they're at their lowest point, like their significant other or their partner has passed away, or their parents diagnosed with a terminal illness or something, God forbid, has happened to their child, or they had a child, right? So it's always this roller coaster that, um, you know, money is interjected or intertwined with every one of those personal experiences in a different way for different people. So being able to connect and share a story, one, I think makes people feel seen and heard in that you're not alone. It may be the first time that you're experiencing this, but given the number of people that I may interact with on a day or a week or a month, you know, this experience has happened to someone else. And this is, you know, how they recovered, or this is what 
has happened going forward. And it doesn't mean that that is going to be your lived experience, but it does help bring comfort in those dark moments where people may not see the path to move forward at the, that point in time, just yeah. knowing that there is a path um, and it is a path others have survived before you, I think may give them that little bit of hope that allows them to just, you know, get up and say, okay, you know, tomorrow's a new day. I think I've got this. And, and I love that because I think what you're saying essentially is, is exactly what, you know, we chatted about earlier is that the power of vulnerability, the power of empathy and being able to story share. And like you said, we never break confidentiality. It's not nothing to do with that. It has to do with making people feel like you said, when people call me, they think they're the only ones that have ever gone through this. And I tell people, you know, we do 1800 infidelity cases a month for the last two decades plus tax. Right. And so it makes people's, it kind of, I don't want to say normalizes their situation, but I feel like it really brings this comfort to them. And one of the many things I love about you is you are dealing with people's present. Sometimes you're dealing with the past and you're definitely dealing with the future. And you've got this amazing ability to connect with these individuals. And that is a tough thing to do because when you've got emotions running high and when, you know, obviously when there's some kind of trauma or tragedy, because people, I don't want to say all, but a big part of our clients both come to us at their most difficult times, right? And again, not all the time, but some of the time. And you've got this power to be able to connect with them in such a personal way. I think that's such a gift. So kudos to you for doing that. Now, I want to chat with you about your amazing article that's coming out or actually now depends on when we put this out, which will probably be very soon, that uh, was written for you about you and how amazing you are. Can you chat with us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, I was interviewed uh, last week by Wealth Professional Magazine just on how women can lead in this concept of the intergenerational wealth transfer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're facing the largest wealth transfer in history as wealth you know, passes from the boomer generation down to, you know, Gen X and millennials. And as a lot of things, especially in financial services, stats, figures, numbers, we think about, okay, the greatest wealth transfer in history. But I like to think about with that transfer becomes the loss of what could be, you know, the greatest, most significant person in someone's life, right? It's not just a passive assets and you know, this, what is this person going to inherit? Well, what is this person losing, right? Who is that person behind that? What is the stories that that comes with? What is the emotion that builds behind that? And how do you prepare um, not only the next generation for the wealth they may inherit, but for the struggle they may go through as they face that journey with an aging parent or the sudden death of a parent or a loved one, there's so much emotions attached to that. And I think uh, sometimes we forget the human experience behind, you know, the process that will take place. And that's really, I um, believe what has been maybe missing as we talk about transfer of wealth, specifically among female clients saying, you know, I don't feel that I 
can work with someone in the industry that I really connect with. And that's because the emotional connection is so important from a female's perspective, right? They are so much deeper than just the number on the statement. And as those transfers happen, um, you know, they come intermixed with great loss. It sure does. And, you know, thank you for bringing that up because way too often we don't hear the voice. We don't look at the sort of person behind, if you want to say the numbers or on the other line or the situation. And I, I think that's a real gift. One of the many, like I said, that you have. So now I am going to get personal and uh, vulnerable and say to you that one of the things that you and I really connected on uh, is, if you want to call it the sandwich generation, but it, it really is about uh, having a loved one that is still here that has an illness. Uh, so my mom, as you know, has been diagnosed with early onset dementia and it's difficult. Uh, she lives with us. She has been my rock and my rock star forever. And it's really tough to watch and to experience and to be able to show up for them in a way that they need, because, you know, I, again, you and I chatted about this in the beginning. I, I almost feel a little bit selfish talking about my feelings, but the more people that I talk to, and I've had, you know, about six months to sort of process everything. And the more people I talk to a lot of people, especially women, um, sort of feel the same way because it's not us going through it. Um, mm -hmm. and then I actually ended up going to my doc who sadly retired after several decades of amazing service. Um, but he said, he said this to my mom and I, and my mom still lives with us and is very independent and whatnot. But he basically said, you know, my mom would be like, oh, she's so great. And she does all this stuff. And, and he said, but, you know, just be careful because it comes at a cost to her. And I, in my mind, I'm kind of thinking, well, that's a shitty thing for him to say, right? But as the days and weeks and months went on, it, it does come at a cost to us. And so knowing your situation, if you want to share as little or as much as you want to, has it come at a cost to you? even in the beginning and now emotionally we know what it feels like, but maybe just expand as much or as little as you'd like. Yeah. So I would say, um, it was a hard or it took a big step in vulnerability for me to write an article in the financial post about the experience with my dad. And for anybody who's read it, know that that was a journey for me. It was two years after I found out about the diagnosis um, that I felt I was in a position where I could share my experience. And the article speaks to uh, the five stages of grief that you walk through, um, whether it's dealing with any type of loss that could be death, that could be divorce, that could be dementia. And I never really um, applied that to my situation until I could look back with hindsight and say, oh, I clearly lived every one of those five stages over a two-year period, you know, and I believe I'm getting closer to the last stage, which is the acceptance stage. But with a loved one with dementia, that grief cycle starts all over again. And the one thing I loved 
um, as I kind of explore this concept of those stages of grief, not only for myself, but my clients who will walk through those as well, is that grief is a cyclical process. So you feel like, oh, I've gotten to, you know, the acceptance stage, you know, I've made it, but it's a process, right? It just, it restarts and that going back to step one can hit you at any point in time on the journey. So just like everything, as we navigate this human experience um, and we go through things and we feel like we've healed parts of ourselves, other parts show up where we're like, oh, that still needs a little bit of work. Uh, grief is very similar in that manner. So I think, you know, yes, when you're having dealing with aging parents, that is something that I would say uh, for women is not really talked about, right? It's expected as a caregiver that you're going to show up for your parents and you're going to show up for your children and, and you do show up. But um, as that article came out, I had a lot of women um, that I really admire and respect message me and say, thank you. Like I am going through the same thing and I felt so alone because you're afraid to talk about it. I'd say, like you said, because you're like, I'm not going through it or it's not my spouse or partner. Um, but there still is that deep connection between a parent and a lot of loss. When I think about, you know, my dad, I would say, you know, to me, my brothers, my sister, I'm like, oh, you know, we looked up at to my dad, like he was Superman, He-Man, Batman, Spider-Man, like every superhero rolled into one. And he, he played that role differently for each of us. But as you um, kind of lose that figure, in my sense, just cognitively, your whole perspective um, changes, right? Because it's not the first time I've dealt with loss. But it, a loss of a parent, um, whether it's cognitively or physically, um, there's just a feeling or an experience that I think um, anybody who's gone through that journey can attest to, but nobody talks about it. Um, that's a problem. I think that's a problem. And that's why I so appreciated your article, because it is all about bringing these tough topics to the forefront. And don't you feel that if for whatever reason, you know, two years ago, maybe you had found an article like the one you wrote, it, it's sort of like you said, it makes you feel like you're not alone because I don't know why, except for the fact that of what you said that, you know, it, it, it's an uncomfortable topic for sure. You feel almost selfish saying it's difficult uh, and it's just something that's sort of very taboo. And I know you and I uh, were on a, a conference call with somebody uh, that was going through the very same thing. And so I wonder how many others are, are, are experiencing this and we're not talking about it. I feel like it's also very similar to dealing with a loved one that has maybe mental health struggles. And again, it's not us that's going through it, but everybody's affected. And I, would love for not only this podcast, but the things that we're going to do in the future, um, be able to start to bring conversation around these difficult topics because it's okay to feel the way you're feeling because they're your feelings. But mm -hmm. I feel that again, <coughs> excuse me, as women, we very much are caregivers 
and we put the person in need ahead of us. Then, like you said, then we've got our children, our partners or our spouses, other, you know, work commitments and whatnot. And we're sort of left, excuse me, we're sort of left at the last. And so if we are sort of the pillar that holds everything and everybody up, well, who's taking care of us, Mm -hmm. right? And that's why bringing a group of, you know, like-minded women and uh, individuals uh, together to be able to share their experiences and story share, I think is profound. And I think that's what, uh, you know, you've sort of sparked with uh, your, well, with this podcast, but also with your article. Yeah, when you were speaking about, you know, if somebody else had written an article, it makes me think of uh, the first time I sort of seen an article from a perspective similar to my own, and it was Rumor Willis writing um, her experience of dealing with Bruce Willis's diagnosis of dementia. And you kind of related, okay, so even though uh, your dad is famous and you're a celebrity, the feelings of what it feels like to watch your loved one go through this and know that you're completely helpless in any way um, is shared universally regardless of the individual that's walking through that journey. Yes. And, you know, you you said sort of bringing up the whole journey thing um, and the grief So as you know, I'm finalizing one of my TED Talks for next year, and one one of them are, who are you in the face of tragedy? And again, I don't want to paint it like this is just such a big tragedy, but, you know, internally for me, it is a tragedy to lose one of the people I love the most. And so, but we also have to be cognitive of the fact that we've got our kids watching us too. Right. And I think it's okay for them to see, you know, we always, I feel like a lot of us don't want our kids to feel pain or to feel negative in any way. And again, it's not my wish for anybody, but I think it's okay for them to witness your feeling of grief and loss because it is a tragedy to you and it is a loss to you. But what you had said was so profound that it's a journey. And just when you think, you know, okay, I've got this, something else changes and something else shifts. I, I, think, I think life is a journey, not a destination. I say this all the time, even though uh, Aerosmith says it way better, it's definitely going to be my next tattoo. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's an end to this. I, I, you know, there will be an end as we all, you know, sadly will pass one day. But, you know, it's, it's something that it, it's, it's hard. It, it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. When you say that, like it is a journey, and that as we, you know, go through different stages of our uh, of our life, we're going to experience this journey, but from a different perspective. So yes, like eventually, you know, it may be me in the position of my father, and my daughter's going through that. But I feel like having those conversations um, in an open way, cause those feelings are still felt children are very intuitive, right? So they can tell if I'm struggling and they'll bring it up. And, um, I also think it's generational, right? So our generation was raised a little bit more to be open and talking about feelings, which might've not been the case so much for the boomer generation. And so we had to learn this skill 
um, and most of us um, at an older age. And then we might be communicating differently to our children, but then the generation, you know, our grandchildren, they're going to have a whole different way of communicating or how they, they view things. And so um, I think just being open and having those conversations of saying, you know, yes, you know, I am struggling right now, but it doesn't mean that that should negatively impact, you know, how I show up for my kids. But sometimes, you know, you might have a little bit more short tempered in a day and they don't quite understand. But if you can sit down and say, this is why, and this was what's going on behind the scenes. I think sometimes then people can show some empathy, even children in that relationship or in a business setting, if you're saying, okay, you know, yes, I didn't get back to an email in the first hour, but this was the reason why people are usually accommodating, but the human brain like kind of looks for, um, solutions that it thinks is the most probable, right? So if you don't give them the information, they're going to come up with what they believe is the reason for the delay in your response, not knowing that you've got everything behind the surface. So not to say that you can let the ball drop in those situations, but to know um, we're all kind of human at the end of the day. Yes. And one of the last pieces of advice that I'll just uh, leave with on that topic, because I know you were going to say something there is just, I had a mentor before I came into this side of the business and I called him, I'd known him for years and saying, you know, just um, about fears or hesitations you have when you're making a big uh, career move. And he said to me, Chantel, just remember that at the end of the day, we are all just imperfect humans trying to help other imperfect humans. And I repeat that in my mind uh, quite frequently because I'm like, okay, no one is expecting perfection. Um, they are expecting you to show up and they're expecting you to deliver, but perfection does not exist. And so you just need to give yourself a little bit of grace in those time periods where you're beating yourself up in your mind because you feel like you're not at your best because all of these other things are happening around you. And, um, like you always say, you know, it's okay to be not okay. And giving yourself that grace because, you're going to get to a place again where you are able to give 110% or you are operating at your highest efficiency. But right now might not be that time if you've got a lot of other things going on behind the scenes and guilting yourself and beating yourself up about that is not actually helping you feel any better or cope in that situation. So sometimes grace is just the better strategy. Exactly grace, forgiveness, self-love, self-care, all of those things are so important. And I'm glad that you sort of, you know, shared that because one of my big things is that we're all perfectly imperfect, right? You know, the whole perfection syndrome, we'll call it. Um, I think we're so hard on ourselves sometimes as women. Uh, and I feel that, you know, there's definitely a shift right now of sort of self-love and self-care and whatnot. But you touch, I, I just jotted down a few quick things because you said so many important things in that, uh, in that last uh, bit there is regarding anything to do with sort of our children, communication to me is key. And again, it's all age appropriate. If you have a two or four year old, obviously people will use their own common sense, right? 
although, you know, there's a ton of really good books about, you know, loss or sadness or whatever the case may be. But just exactly what you said, I think it's being honest with your kids. I think it's being honest age appropriately. You don't want to scare them, but I feel like for me, anyways, this is what's worked really well for me, is you also don't want to shield them from everything. Mm -hmm. And so that to me is very important, what you had said. And then there was also regarding sort of explaining to them, you know, and it's funny, one of my, one of my many tattoos on, on this arm says, just breathe. And a lot of times when I get a little bit uppity or I'm a little bit kind of short, not that it happens often, although my kids would probably say it happens <laughs> every day. No, I'm kidding. Um, they're like, mom, look at your left arm, mom, look at, so we have this little kind of fun banter, what, where it says, just breathe, because sometimes in the throes of everything, that's all you can do. And sometimes when I talk to my clients and you're the same, my advice to them, they're like, what do I do? What do I do? And they're hyperventilating, they're crying, they're, you know, going to extremes. And I'm like today, just for, just for the next 30 minutes, I want you to just breathe. And sometimes that's enough to bring them down, which sort of brings us to the next topic of, you know, you juggle so many things and so many, I would say sort of high, not even high conflict, but, you know, very important things for, you know, decisions that are, you are helping other people make. And so you've got your family life and you've got your corporate and your work life and all the fun stuff in between. What is the one thing that sort of has helped you to keep grounded and sort of stay kind of focused? I'll share mine is always 1000% affirmations first thing in the morning. That's how I start every day. And then also working out. I don't care if it's for 15 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes. If I'm feeling stressed, it could be as simple as going for a power walk or as time consuming as going to the gym. What is it for you? What keeps Chantel grounded? Yeah, I think for me, it's uh, been mindfulness. Like I introduced uh, meditation about six years ago now. And I wouldn't say like I'm an avid meditator where I'm up every day and I'm meditating, uh, you know, but uh, I have an app on my phone. And uh, once I started using it, now I don't even need to go through a whole meditation. I just hear the opening, you know, welcome to the daily calm. And I'm all of a sudden that, you know, I'm in a better mental state. Um, and I've shared with you many times, I discovered restorative yoga. Um, so I tell people it's, it's like a nap for my brain. Um, and I go every Sunday night and it's just a refresh and helps put, uh, things into perspective. Right. Um, so those have been two, I mean, working out is just, that's been important as well, but I think it's the integration of it all. Um, you know, my, my favorite trainer who I got the joy of, uh, going to Mexico with in April launched a program called redefine fitness. And it's about incorporating strength and mindfulness. And that is the first time that I ever woke up in the morning, excited to work out because it's about honoring your body, honoring the things that your body allows yourself, you know, to do every day. And as women, we tend to, you know, work out because we're 
we want to change our body. And so by just shifting your perspective to say, no, like your body is what's carrying you through this life. You need to honor it. And no matter where you are in your journey, you just, you show up, right? You show up for yourself because no one can give you that feeling other than yourself. So the mindfulness piece has been so important um, from a, like a physical health standpoint, from a mental health standpoint, but also from a business standpoint, because, you know, I do work in a very high stress industry and uh, there's nothing I can control about the markets or interest rates or geopolitical risks, all which impact um, the way that the markets move. Um, all I can control is uh, staying grounded, um, helping to keep my clients grounded during those volatile moments and sticking to a longer term plan. So there are so many parallels between that concept of building our mental and physical health as there is to our financial wealth. A hundred percent. And I'm so glad you brought up mindfulness and meditation. I just did um, a, a thing for the board of trade uh, last month and the best leaders in the world, I mean, in the world and for centuries uh, have practiced mindfulness and have practiced meditation. And I love the fact that now it's, it's not new. You know, even when my kids mm -hmm. come to me and they try to tell me, oh, look at this, you know, worn out T-shirt and it, it's all new. I'm like, everything old is new again. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the whole mindfulness and the mindset it is 100 percent key um, to keeping yourself in that sort of state where you're not either up here or down here. Right. So I love the fact that you brought that up. I think it's so important. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question in closing, but you know, uh, what I sort of presented and a lot of people think mindfulness and meditation has to be this big, long journey of, I've got to go to restorative yoga, which would be great if everybody could do that every day. Of course, most, you know, busy individuals cannot. So you can practice mindfulness at home at, you know, at your desk, on a walk, wherever you may be. It's not like you have to go to a yoga studio, which a lot mm -hmm. of people, that's their perception. So I love the mm -hmm. fact that you said you've started it in a way that works for somebody with a young family, busy professional. If you can do it, I think sort of everybody can do it. Just yeah. Like and it's not easy at the beginning. Like people will be like, how do I turn off my mind? Or this is not for me. Right. And my, I am someone who has a mind that's always operating. Um, but over six years of just kind of not giving up or using it, uh, when I need it, right. It's not like I would say I'm sitting there every day on a yoga mat meditating, but it gives me the ability now to just, even when you just breathe to calm my mind, even if it's just for that you know, millisecond before reacting in a way that you might initially react to just say, okay, this is the tool that this, you know, that this taught me. Um, and so, yes, it's, you know, an app on my phone. Sometimes it's playing in the background, you know, while I'm driving, a lot of times it's just like, I put on a sleep meditation when I get into bed and I'm asleep like <laughs> in the first two minutes before it goes for 10 minutes. But that's, that's been helpful. So yeah, you can incorporate it in any way that kind of works for you, but um, you don't need to, at least in my experience, like commit to this long, long drawn out process. Ritual. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, what's important to know because for uh, women that are busy and playing so many roles 
um, in their home as well as professionally, I think they need something that's palatable, something that's doable. And like you said, I mean, somebody like you to even be able to go once a week, kudos to you. And I think I had said, you and I had chatted about this at your event that, you know, is that not negotiable? So this is my closing mm -hmm. question to you. I feel that for me in this stage of my life, if I don't schedule it in on my phone, mm -hmm. it sort of goes to the wayside. And so I've been scheduling in certain things that care for and that are just for me. And it could be a 15 minute, you know, uh, meditation. It could be an hour walk. It could be regardless of what it is. But if it's not scheduled in, I don't feel like it's necessarily going to happen because something is always going to happen in our lives, right? That yeah. can, you know, steer us. I mean, you might just want to cook your family a super nice dinner and that's great. But again, you're doing for others, right? So what is non-negotiable for you when you are self-caring for yourself? I think it's carving out that time. So um, but again, also giving myself grace. So if it's in my calendar, I show up and, you know, I treat it as a commitment, right? So just started working with a new personal trainer again, like that's 6am. Okay. I'm told him it's in my calendar. That's a commitment, right? My restorative yoga Sunday evenings. Okay. It's in my calendar. That's a commitment, but also there might be times where things come up or you're dealing with something and to say, I can't show up today, but that's okay as well. Like, I'm not going to guilt myself because I didn't keep a commitment to myself because it's a one-off, right? So I think there's two sides of, yes, carving out that time that I was never good at doing before. If it's not in my calendar, like I will brush off, obviously put myself to the bottom of the list. But once I created a system to say, okay, you know, these things make me operate at a more efficient level in every aspect of my, of my life. So they should be a priority in carving out a couple hours of my entire, you know, week um, to make that time. And I think I shared with you last week at the event, like, of course, I don't want to get up and work out at 6 a.m. Like, of course, I want to hit the snooze button. And for sometimes, like, I might hit snooze a few times. And I get up and I go downstairs. And even if I'm not giving it a hundred percent, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to show up, right. It's keeping those commitments 100%. to myself. So, and then giving myself grace on the days where I was like, you know what, I'm just hitting the snooze this morning and that's okay. I'm not going to guilt and shame myself all day because I didn't show up. Right. I'm not. So I am, um, it, I feel like it's a teeter totter, right? It's a balancing act of keeping those commitments to yourself and making yourself a priority, but also giving yourself grace. If you're not able to keep the commitment to yourself, right? A hundred percent. And, you know, just to sort of close off, I think what you are saying is so important and it's such an important message to all the ladies, to all the humans that are giving a hundred percent of whatever they have is that, you know, somebody, I mean, people talk about it all the time, but I, and I'll quote it below in the description said, you know, if I treated others the way I treat myself, I would have no friends and family. And I think sometimes we are so incredibly unforgiving, judgy, somewhat flat out mean to ourselves. Uh, and I, it takes a lot to have for me, and it's been decades of work and decades since I have felt that way, but 
um, to really shift that mindset. And mm -hmm. people always talk about shifting and mindset and whatever, but it is really, you talk about grace. It's about giving yourself grace. It's about, you know, you set goals. Again, you set these goals. So it's okay. It's not okay to say, oh, I'm going to skip every goal. It's okay if, like you said, if something happens or if a situation really kind of blocked you from meeting that goal, it's okay to move the goal or to revamp your goal or to move it to a different date. It's okay. It's okay to get rid of that goal if it no longer serves you as well. Mm -hmm. So that, that message you gave about having grace and giving yourself forgiveness, I think is profound and I love it. No, thanks. It's, it's kind of worked for me in that I definitely had a lot of negative self-talk. And as soon as I um, learned the skill of uh, speaking more positively to myself, or even just like not so much negative, uh, that really changed so many things in that um, it reduced a lot of the stress or the anxiety you feel because a lot of that is created um, from the way that you're speaking to yourself, right? And so to be able to release some of that, and again, it's, it's a journey. I think some of it comes with age and experience um, and growth, but um, <clears throat> being able to just look at yourself and say, yeah, okay, like today is what it is and I'm just going to move forward, but I'm not a terrible person. <laughs> exactly. And it's funny, this has to be another podcast for another time, but you know, it's so important because again, you know, you talked about this in your, um, in your presentation showing the uh, champagne and the, the Chanel bag perception is everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it, it goes back to, and it'll close it perfectly. What we were talking about is when somebody looks at you or even when people look at me or talk to me and say, Oh my gosh, I was, I wish I was so as strong as you are. And, you know, people look at you and, Oh my gosh, you're so well put together. And, you know, you are just a human being, you know, living life the same way as everybody else. And we all have our struggles we all have our obstacles and we all are really you know good people so my thing is just be kind to everybody that you deal with you never know what people are going through on the other side and with all my heart you know i love you to pieces and everything that you stand for is amazing and all the things that you are doing for women all the empowerment things that you are doing your events and all the amazing things thank you thank you thank you and I look forward to speaking with you soon. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Talk soon. Bye.